looking for the king of podcasts, you're at the wrong channel. Looking for good ideas for life, you are far from good hands. If you think the listener is always right, you are far from the right place. Hosted by a Northeasterner by birth, a rebel by choice. If you want a host that floats between love and madness, then play on and listen to Crazy Train Radio. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Mmm, I love scotch. I love scotch. Scotch is got scotch. Here it goes down. Down into my belly. Mm -mm Mmm-mm-mm. Don't mess with me, I'm one crazy mofo. This brand is truly exciting and so glad that they are starting to make a positive impact. Little Bean Soapery is a woman-owned small business based in Northeast Pennsylvania. Little Bean Soapery does so much as all products are handcrafted and offer many different things for both men and women. Soaps, scrubs, body butters, bath bombs, solid cologne and much more. Little Bean Soapery also does things for special occasions such as birthdays, Mother's Day, Father's Day and special seasonal gift day. But also let's not forget large orders for party favours by request. The great things about all products is that they are crafted to be nourishing on the skin. If you wish to check them out please feel free to visit littlebeansoapery.com. Any questions, please feel free to also email littlebeansoapery at gmail.com for custom inquiries and or ask anything else you wish. Tell them that Elena from Crazy Train Radio sends you. Hi, this is Ed Cranepool and you're listening to Crazy Train Radio. It's your least favorite host in the podcast world, Croc, Jonathan Steele. And I'm Elena, your favorite host from the Emerald Isles. Boy, do we have a good one for you today. 
Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, I actually enjoy that I get to speak with this gentleman again because I believe it would have been last year we chatted. Yep. Uh, when he had two other baseball books out, but he has a new one out, a new baseball novel that's called Pickoff. GP Hutchinson. How you doing, sir? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me back. Of course, of course. You know, I like the themes of your books. Obviously, I have sitting right here. And I, of course, I left pick off at the office. But <laughs> the previous books we talked about were Dead Ball and Right Over the Right Field Wall. So this is the, I should say, pick off is the new one of the baseball series. Right. And first and foremost, with pick off, what we, what can you tell us about the book without because we obviously want people to read it. Sure. Um, it is in the series. I started out in the 1890s with over the right field wall. And it's a short sort of intro, uh, uh, a teaser sort of thing. Dead ball was a, a full length story that was set in the 1910s. Uh, and then pickoff is set in 1927, a great year in baseball when uh, you've got Murderers Row around the Yankees team and uh, and Rogers Hornsby for the Cardinals and uh, um, home run is king in, in this time. And uh, so the, the story is um, as baseball progresses a little bit, but still it, it, for me, it's mind blowing to think that that's almost 100 years ago. It just, you know, I sat and thought about that just before getting online with you here. And uh, so uh, maybe some um, modern day. Uh, baseball enthusiasts may have trouble um, really imagining what baseball was like back then. But, you know, baseball is a sport that really is anchored a lot in history. And that's one thing I really enjoy about it. Exactly. It's definitely anchored in history. And I know we discussed history of the game previously when we talked about the previous two books. Right. So, you know. And I am, and I don't know if I had told you previously, but I am a Hall of Fame member of Cooperstown. So I am one that really enjoys the history. Sure. Yes. I think you did mention that. And that's, that's awesome. Yeah, that's a, a great thing to be part of. Good deal. Yes. To especially to help support the history in what that museum does. Have you ever actually been up there at Cooperstown? You know, I had it on the calendar uh, right up until COVID hit, and that blew my trip out of the water, and uh, I haven't been able to get it back on the calendar. So, no, I've not yet made it there. I've been in contact with some folks up there, and um, I look forward to the chance to get there perhaps as soon as this coming spring. Awesome, because I was going to say, and I know I'll get a phone call about this, but we have a friend of the show named Bruce, who is one of their historians up there. And I was actually going to recommend you to Bruce, and because they do from time to time these different book series, right? where auth different baseball authors and historians and such come in and actually do talks on their published works and mm -hmm. just different things. So I might as well tell you, so it's not a complete surprise, but I was actually going to drop your name as a good 
potential guests for them. So it would kill two awesome. birds. It'd be two birds and one stone that you'd be It'll able be to visit. visit. So, yeah, I'd love to do that, uh, Jonathan. That would be amazing. Yeah. You know, I don't have that much pool up there, but I talk to the guy quite frequently who runs that program. And I think you would fit in just well with what they try to do in their theater there. Well, I appreciate that endorsement. Uh, you know, right here in uh, upstate South Carolina, we have uh, the Shoeless Joe Jackson Museum. Yes. Uh, the home that he actually lived in and uh, until his death uh, in, you know, I think in 1951. And I just, uh, they just remodeled it. And I went down and visited, uh, uh, I think it was in July. Uh, and I, they didn't know who I was. And I just went through the tour and listened. And my grandkids were with me. And so once they finished the tour, I was pointing some things out and talking to my grandkids. And um, the, the lady who was leading us uh, through the docent uh, kind of nabbed me at the end of the tour. And she says, you seem to, to know a good bit about this. And I said, well, actually, I was doing some research for, you know, uh, some early baseball novels that I was writing. We got to talking about that. So before I left the place, they were twisting my arm to, to be a, a tour guide, a docent there at the Shoeless Joe Jackson Museum. But uh, writing has uh, just made that kind of tough to, to work into the schedule. But uh, that kind of thing is just a lot of fun. Yeah, but like I said, I... I want to I'm going to drop your name to Bruce, because I think with your appreciation of history of the game, mm -hmm. I think it would be a fun thing, because like you said, you'd be able to visit the museum, but also you know, kill a couple of birds in one stone there. But you mentioned Shoeless Joe Jackson there. And I heard about that house recently. I think it was either a ESPN short uh -huh. or Major League short. Yeah, for the network. I can't remember what who had it. Right. But it was just an interesting story talking about Shoeless Joe there. Mm -hmm. And it was almost like, if I remember this correctly in his story, it was there was almost a little bit of a disdain for the game of baseball because of that whole sock scandal of the 1919 team. Right. Do, do you think, since we're talking about the Hall of Fame and history and such, do you think that Shoeless Joe will eventually get into the hall because of what he did on the field? My personal opinion, and it's just that, um, is that he deserves to be in the hall. Um, I have a high degree of doubt that he will. Uh, every time the topic comes up and I see anything on the web about it or discussions on it, people say, well, if you let him in, you need to let Pete Rose in. Um, and even though betting has become, you know, even while you're watching a game on ESPN, you know, you're, you, you've got people that are betting and, you know, it, many, many supported platforms for betting on baseball now. Um, and, uh, yet I don't think people are ready to forgive Pete Rose or much less Joe Jackson. I mean, uh, being a hundred years removed, um, People just don't get it, what, what the Black Sox scandal really was, and what the circumstances were before it. Although I think they do a pretty decent job uh, in the movie 11 Men Out of, of dealing with that. Well, and that was going to be my other question about Pete Rose. But with that being said, as far as when you watch a game and you see uh, Gamboy and such promote mm -hmm. it, 
the thing that is a kicker for me when it comes to both guys, but especially Pete, is yeah, it's advertised that you can bet on games and everything else because that's the time we're in. Mm-hmm. But the kicker for me really is that certain gambling outlets are sponsors of Major League Baseball. Mind you, I know Major League Baseball doesn't run the Hall of Fame, but there right. just seems like an irony there, if that makes sense. No, it makes a lot of sense. It makes a load of sense to me. It seems like there, you know, two different um two different scales being used to measure uh, the um, the morality of, you know, what keeps somebody out. You know, you have morality on, on one hand and on the other hand, you've got, uh, you've got such amazing baseball skill and ability. And I mean, they were, Shoeless Joe was just such a natural and, you know, Pete Rose too. I'm not saying they didn't work at what they did, but, um, when somebody in the, the time that they were in the game just per, performed at such a high uh, level and you compare that to others that are in the hall that didn't attain that same level. Yeah. If you just dealt with it purely on, on the basis of um, what the person accomplished as a ball player, then I think, you know, easily both guys deserve to be in the hall, but you know, it's uh, people are looking at I guess, you know, character and, uh, and really, I guess the one legitimate point that still, I'm not sure we'll ever have a handle on is um, who bet against themselves or who bet against, you know, uh, something where the game could be rigged. Um, although I am, I'm pretty convinced that Joe Jackson was not uh, in on any part of throwing the game. I mean, he just performed at such a high level during the course of that uh, 1919 World Series. And with Pete, I would say, based on somewhat well-read on it, was, and I could be wrong because you hear people trying to throw different things out, is it was more so the betting as a manager compared to what he did playing on the between the white lines. But that debate's been going on for however many years and will continue to go on. 40 years now, yep. And it's funny that we talk about the hall because in the room I'm in, I have two pictures in this office that really stand out for me and both Hall of Fame related. And the first picture on my left is the original photo of the first two classes into the Hall of Fame. And the one next to it was from my last visit before COVID hit. And it was associated with ozzy smith's charity yeah where they do a fundraiser for to help out youths and the hall and all that stuff and i'm sitting in the the main room there with the plaque the plaque room mm-hmm. and i'm with ozzy smith jim tomey alan trammell and trevor hoffman so to stand in that room with four hall of famers is kind of cool that is more than a little cool that's <laughs> That was a you know a great event for you to be there with them. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I'll send you the picture afterwards when we're done here. But Man, that's awesome. And of course, you get the four or four or five original plaques yeah. behind, directly behind us with like Babe Ruth and all that. And it's like that is it's a, 
that's something you won't forget. That, you know, that's that's one no. of those life events that you say that was really, really a cool deal. And the cool part is we go over after that, we went over to a ball field right next to where they do the induction. Right. And we would go to each bait, each position, depending on the guy, first base with Tommy, third boot trammel and such. Right. Shortstop, second base with Ozzy. And right. we would spend 15, 20 minutes and they allowed us to pepper them with questions. That's, that's and then good. get to play a little catch with them too. So it's like, no, it was way. almost like, it was almost like field of dreams. I, I would have felt like, you know, a nine-year-old kid all over again, you know, <laughs> being able to throw a few with uh, the wizard and um, somebody who uh, was good on both sides of the game and well, all of them, but you know, Tommy, um, you know, great defensive player and great hitter. And uh, yeah, it's it, like I said, it almost felt like Field of Dreams. Since yeah, doing, doing what I do with this, yeah, of course, I was like throwing out a bunch of questions as well, but you know, sure. like you said, I felt like I was that nine year old kid because I grew up at the tail end of Ozzy's career, but the other and Alan's career because he retired in the 90s as well mm-hmm. but you know Trevor was dominant and Jim was dominant through my teens and in my early 20s so it's like yeah. I was like oh my god you know like I said I'll send you the picture when we're done I here appreciate that that'd be great let, let you check that out but yeah let's jump into a little bit of the current game we got the world series going on now have you had a chance to watch some of that and which way you think it's going to go well, uh, first of all, the team I was rooting for most uh, was out in the um, wild card uh, match. Uh, I was pulling for the Cardinals, and uh, they fell to L.A. And uh, then I was pulling for L.A., and, of course, the Braves uh, took L.A. So um, when – I don't know. Something lingers in, in my mouth, a bad taste in my mouth with regard to Houston and the whole uh, cheating thing uh, – from a few years back. So it's probably stupid because, you know, that's, um, that's done and over and behind, I hope. Um, and of course, where I live, I'm pretty close to Atlanta. So I, I guess, you know, if I lean either way, it's probably leaning toward uh, the Braves and a pretty impressive in game one. You know, that's the thing. And like you said, you're in the Carolinas there. So mm-hmm. I get, I'm guessing that the Braves are the, hot commodity when it comes to baseball, right? Absolutely. Yes, indeed. You know, it's there, you know, I remember when they were called America's team back when Maddox and uh, uh, Glavin and that whole lineup was pitching for them. Uh, once again, that was back in the nineties. Uh, and, uh, but if they're not America's team still to this day, they're definitely a regional favorite over this way. Yeah, and it's funny that you mentioned those uh, guys, Maddox and Smoltz and Glavin and all, mm-hmm. because I grew up in that same era. I'm 37. Mm-hmm. And during their heyday, those guys that you're talking about in the 90s, not not forget Chipper Jones and stuff right. on the field. Mm-hmm. I grew up in the Philadelphia area. Mm-hmm. I'm not a Phillies fan. I'm an Orioles guy. But I just remember the Phillies Braves rivalry for that NL East division, because the the Braves of that time period were just so hot. Dominant. Absolutely dominant. 
with the current game, though, who do you like watching? If you're going to sit down, have a beer, maybe dinner, mm-hmm. whatever the case, and try to enjoy a game, who do you enjoy watching? I enjoy watching anybody whose philosophy is not long ball or nothing. You know, uh, there's it's, um, you know, two things. One, uh, tearing up guys' arms saying you got to throw 102, you got to throw 102, you know, just high heat, high heat, high heat. And then following these metrics that, okay, my computer printout tells me that, you know, five and a third innings into the game, I've got to pull my starter regardless of how well he's doing or, or whatever. Um, and playing the game so me- mechanically that you lose the game of it. You know, it's, it's not a video game, you know, it's, it's real people making real time decisions about uh, how to play. Uh, well, you know, the, the pitcher batter duel and then uh, without extreme shifts or, you know, if you want to put on a shift, that's fine, you know, but um I just think, you know, if you pull somebody like a Tommy or, um, or a Tony Gwynn from the past, they would be tearing up teams that do these crazy shifts because, you know, you just punch the ball where, you know, like the old saying, uh, you know, hit them where they ain't. Um, so, you know, it, it, the teams I've enjoyed are just teams that use their uh, personnel well and let them uh, take what the pitcher gives them you know, put the ball in play. And to me, those are the more enjoyable teams to to watch. So um, I think I, during the course of this season, I enjoyed um, Brewers some and, uh, and at times that, you know, St. Louis had that hot streak back in uh, September. Uh, So uh, teams that um, maybe they're not the ones that, you know, wow you with uh, home run power, but just uh, smart pitching and, uh, smart base running and, you know, people that will take a stab at trying to take an extra base when it's appropriate and all. And so I'm not saying small ball. I'm just saying I don't like an all or nothing approach to baseball. You mentioned it. And I believe the words analytics with the game that you Mm -hmm. were talking about there. And I agree with that. And maybe this is coming from the era I grew up in, Mm -hmm. but, and even previous era set as far as like pulling pitchers and stuff right you damn sure know that guys like carlton or nolan ryan and bob gibson and all these different got pitchers these ace pitchers of their time right. would have looked at you three three ways on sunday if you said mm-hmm. all right we got th- five and a quarter innings in turn it you got to go sit down right you know those these guys would have told you go fly a kite. I'm still yeah. throwing. Yeah. I'm throwing until I can't throw no more. Yeah. Am I wrong on that? No, no, you're you're totally right. I I yeah, I can't see that flying back in that time. Um and um you know, if a guy is hot and they've got their stuff today, you know, I don't have any problem leaving them, you know, depending on where it is in the season. Uh, leaving them in and, you know, they can go the distance, let them go the distance. I mean, of course, this year we had an extraordinary number of uh, no hitters thrown uh, either by individuals or by squads um, during the course of the year. And uh, that used to be a rarity, of course, but in the early part of the year, especially. Uh, so, you know, maybe, you know, that's going against the grain of uh, these analytics and uh, computer models of uh, how they ought to pitch. But, uh, I, 
I still think that uh, the game has drifted too much toward uh, just a uh, pure numbers. Uh, there's no strategy, in other words, no no personal strategy, just you know computer models. Exactly, and and when I think of that, I think of uh, maybe because of the region I'm from, Gabe Kapler, uh, when he was with the Phillies, it was a first <laughs> first thing where they would say, "All right, well, I'm done with this. I'm studying this chart. I'm studying, we're looking at." Especially in the Northeast and the Philly area, we look at you go, just play the damn game. <laughs> exactly. And go- you know, it, it is a game, you know, and it's, uh, um, it's, I know there's money involved in everything, but it's a game and it's for entertainment. You know, when they, when they forget that, uh, I mean, you, you mentioned a little while back that baseball nearly lost it uh, after the 1919 uh, Black Sox scandal. Um, but Babe Ruth just, you know, good fortune, Babe Ruth appeared on the scene. Of course, he had been playing for um, for Boston before that. But, you know, his first breakout home run year, uh, just in the nick of time to keep the game alive. And, of course, people went crazy for home runs in the 1920s. And that's part of what's going on in my book. The main character he is a great contact hitter. He's a catcher. And he's uh, he's got a, a tremendous arm. He's got a lot of savvy for the game. Uh, but he's not a home run hitter. And uh, the team figures they've got to have their own um, version of Babe Ruth. So they bench him and bring in a catcher who's not as good a catcher, but who you know knocks the skin off the ball uh, over and over again. And so that's one of the main um, points of conflict and tension in, in the book and, and story. Um, so that um, historical reality that, began in the 1920s with, you know, going for the long ball because that's what entertained. Um, That moderated a lot. Of course, we had a pitcher's era in the 1960s, uh, Sandy Koufax and in that era. And then uh, we've uh, modulated back to a more balanced game again. I think the 90s was a pretty balanced time in baseball, you know, when Ozzy was playing, certainly, and Ricky Henderson and others that were great base runners and, uh, and now we've gone back to the other extreme once again, where uh, everybody thinks that people buy a ticket to go watch home runs. You know, that's, and to me, a great defensive play is easily as entertaining as a home run. And like we said, the book is called Pick Off. And mm-hmm. you can uh, pick up the book over, you know, at all usual outlets, Amazon and all. But you can check out his website at gphutchinson.com. Com. And I mm-hmm. want to bring that up since you talked about your main character being a catcher and all and mm-hmm. pretty much an all around guy to bring it more modern day with that or to make a comparison and tell me if I'm wrong. But would you consider him that time periods, Mike Piazza? Uh, Piazza had a few years where he was a good power hitter. Um, but all around, he was a good defensive catcher. Yes. I mean, you know, I, I think he's a composite kind of, I think about Yadi Molina, you know, guys that you just didn't run on them at a time, or even back when you were talking about in the early nineties, you know, um, you, you, you didn't run on, you know, Piazza. Yeah. He's definitely one you didn't run on, you know, if, if you had any brains, unless you are Ricky Henderson or, uh, or Ozzie Smith, you know, or another catcher that I would think that was multi-tooled would be, a. Uh go back a little further, like you were saying in the eighties would be Mike Sosha. Yes. Mm-hmm. So. 
yeah, it's uh, to me, that's once again, part of the fascination, my fascination with the game anyway, is the different skills required for different positions and the, uh, you know, the pitcher gets so much spotlight, but the man behind the plate takes the, you know, the toughest beating of anybody on the, uh, in the ballpark and, uh, and the mind that he has to have for the game as well to, uh, you know, uh, at least suggest the right pitches to know your batters, to know, um, to know what's going on in front of you. And so, you know, that's just a fascinating position to me. You know, catcher. Exactly. And if I can make a book recommendation, if you, ha- I know you're always busy because I should mention GP always does Westerns as well. Yep. For yep. his, some of his books besides baseball and but if i can make a book recommendation to you since you like to position a catcher ah whatever yeah i got multiple shelves of books check out jason kendall's book Mm -hmm. who was a catcher with the pirates and the a's right and he his autobiography he talks about the game within the game Mm -hmm. and that's a good recommendation i appreciate that um I need to I need to pick that one up and read it. Yes. Yes. I, I think you would appreciate that stating about your love of the catcher and the catcher's position in terms of truly running the game because they do. But do you have any other projects coming down the line? Obviously we want people to check out pick off mm-hmm. and can go through uh, your website, but. Yes, yes, absolutely. You can visit gphutchinson.com and there is a separate page for my baseball books and a separate page for my Westerns books there. And um, so uh, writing all three of the baseball books was an absolute blast to me. And I, and I really think Pickoff is the one I enjoyed writing the most. Of, of the 14 books I've written, um, Pickoff, I think, was one of the most complete and well-rounded stories for, for me, anyway, as a writer. And I, and I get the sense that readers have found it a nice, well-rounded story as well. Um, found it. The, uh, the throwback. thing about I said sorry about that. Yes, it's okay. No, no, it's quite okay. Yeah. So Jason Kendall's throwback. Yes. Yes. Um, the, but you were talking about the thing about. See, you're you're showing me what is uh, read by a majority of baseball enthusiasts right there. I mean, that's a perfect example, Jason Kendall's throwback. Um, people that love baseball, I'm looking for people that love baseball and people that love reading. And typically when, you, when you, those two meet, it's not in fiction. And uh, it, more often it's in, they like reading about the actual players of the game, their autobiographies or somebody else's perspective on them. So that's a perfect example. So getting people to give baseball fiction, um, especially historical baseball fiction, a try has been a real, real tough job for me. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm continuing to work on it and to get it in front of more people. Um, and so I appreciate being here on, on your show in uh, in uh, fulfillment of that. Um, but frankly, you know, what I'm working on right now is Westerns because Westerns sell. And I know there are some people that are predisposed to say Westerns, you know, those are so, you know, last century, you know, but, uh, 
but there's a huge following for Westerns. And as long as you write them, you know, people pick, pick up on them. And uh, so um, I hate to be so mercenary about it or, you know, have to put bread and butter on the table. So right now um, I'm engaged with a publisher who has me on a, a multi book contract. And so for the next little bit, anyway, I'll be pressing forward with uh, more in my uh, Kincaid Western series. Uh, which is being well received, and and I really appreciate that. But uh, would I ever love to get back to uh, to writing about baseball again? Yes, absolutely. In fact, the Western series that I'm working on right now, <laughs> I had to kind of twist my agent's uh, arm a little bit to to go this way. But uh, it's in the old West in 1885. But the main character gets pulled out of um, playing baseball for the Providence Grays. He was on that uh, that great team in 1884 uh, that uh, that did so well, and um, really, that's just that. I think those two years, 84 and 85, were what really uh, established baseball as America's national sport, America's national pastime, and baseball as a a really uh, well established uh, spectator sport in in America. Um, so yeah, even in my western, I've got a character who longs to get back to the East to play baseball again, but he, some things brought him out West and he's kind of stuck out West with one, uh, one challenge and one crisis after another that he's trying to solve. So. And I know you said that tongue in cheek about the Westerns and people, uh, Westerns. So last century and stuff, but last I checked, and I don't have the stuff in front of me, but I always think that, last i heard john wayne was still popular and there's this little show on paramount called yellowstone that has a modern day yep. western feel so yep yeah yellowstone's doing so well that i'm sure you're aware they're doing a prequel series that that's coming out uh in the 1880s once again that the same family that's featured in uh in yellowstone uh, their origins in the west uh are being traced in this uh this new series that's coming out. Um, Hell on Wheels was huge on, uh, on uh, subscription uh, TV. And uh, uh, there's still a huge following for even old 1950s, 60s uh, Western television shows like Gunspoke. Uh, Bonanza. Yep, yep, sure is. So, I mean, there's a market for that and it's a ready market. And uh, as long as a writer gives him a story that is basically in that traditional vein, in that classic vein, uh, they're eager readers to snatch those stories up. So. Exactly. And I have a, uh, we have a friend at a show that's a stuntman by trade. And oh, yeah. he had, he tends to like, and enjoy doing a lot of the old school Western shows. And he does a lot of his stuff in training with bull whips and horseback riding and just stuff that you would think of the old time Western feel. So yeah, obviously there's still a popularity to it. Well, you know, I, I know everything these days and I'm not going to get into it in detail. I definitely, um, everything these days seems, tends to get so politicized and we forget many of the good things about America. And I'm not saying that, you know, the old West was, you know, everybody slapping each other on the back and big buddies and everything. Uh, definitely it was the wild West in, in many, many <laughs> ways, 
but um, but there are still values and things that uh, we can look at and say, you got to admire the people that went to a rugged land where uh, there's no doctor, there's no anybody else to lean on within miles and miles sometimes. And the land is as big a character in, in that story as any of the individuals are. And um, overcoming, you know, overcoming obstacles. And talk about, you know, people want in their books and in their television these days want strong female actors and characters. And, you know, a woman in the West, that had to be a strong woman, you know. <laughs> That's uh, so I love writing about the West still. Um, it's I think it just kind of goes uh, hand in hand with the deal of uh, historical baseball and, you know, America's earlier history. Exactly. And I have a love with that, with the history background myself. But gphutchinson.com, check out the books. Thank you so much, sir. Pleasure to talk with you, Jonathan. Thank you so much. Hey there, Friday fans. We know how much you enjoy the movies. Enjoy grabbing your Friday merchandise and interacting with the Friday family, whether it be at conventions or during our particular watch-alongs. Well, when you're looking to get yourself masks, why not check out our friends over at Camp Blood Customs out of New York State and order your specific custom mask from any other films. All orders are made specifically. Your needs and wants are. Make sure you find Camp Blood Customs on Facebook, Instagram, and all over social media and order yours today. Not all football helmets are created equal. Zenith the industry leader in protective technology is the only helmet in the game with adaptive head protection featuring a shock suspension system that can move independently from the helmet shell. Headquartered and developed in Detroit, Zenith is committed to player safety and revolutionary innovation. Zenith is proud to protect athletes at every level from peewee to the pros. Learn more about the Zenith difference at zenith.com. That's X-E-N-I-T-H.com. Hey everybody, this is Eric Bazilian from The Hooters and you are listening to and enjoying Crazy Train Radio.